Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the technological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. Thrive. They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Hello, and welcome to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Birch, and founder and CEO of JEB Commerce, your award-winning affiliate management agency. Today, we have a great guest, and I will get to that and introduce him to you in a moment. But you know, as we're recording this today, we are squarely in back to school, no matter how much I want to protest and throw a fit and not acknowledge that my kids will be going back to school here shortly and entering another of one of the last few, actually, for me of school, back to school seasons. But you're probably listening to this closer to Q4. And as we get ready to target that, you may be thinking about ways that you can increase your sales but also strategies to lower your customer acquisition costs within your affiliate channel. Now, if you are trying to balance those two things and lower that customer acquisition cost, uh, we've got a resource for you. So just go to jebcommerce.com slash CAC. That's jebcommerce.com slash CAC. And you'll be taken to a resource where we've identified four ways that you can lower, four strategies to lower your customer acquisition costs in your affiliate program. Now, Let's get to our guest today. Our guest today is Andy Hall. Andy is the brand sales and partnership at Magic Links. Now, Magic Links is a influencer platform working primarily with YouTube and TikTok influencers and merging that space of influencers and affiliate marketing. So they are using affiliate marketing to monetize, incentivize, and reward influencers for the content they create on behalf of brands. So Andy's been in the PR space in the affiliate space for a little over 10 years now. So he's done both. And as we have been talking about a lot at JEB, you've noticed that in our content we create on our blog, on our podcast, and in the work that we're doing for our clients, the merging of public relations and affiliate is happening. It is here. And this is one of those conversations that we bring to you, some of the things and partners that we work with to help take advantage of this brave new world that is merging these two disciplines and these two channels. So this is another one. Andy is a great guest. And if you want to learn all about working with Magic Links and and how they work with influencers, then this is the podcast episode for you. So I'm going to step out of the way so you can listen to my conversation with Andy Hall. Awesome. Andy Hall, welcome to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Thank you for spending time today with me. How are you? I'm great. Coming off a great weekend. It's sad we're in the dog days of summer, but luckily I live in Miami, so it's summer year round. The nice part of the weather comes now. 
Yeah, I, you know, my first time in Miami, I experienced true humidity, like I've never seen it before. And, and it was about this time of year, August, I stepped out of my cab and my glasses fogged up for about an hour. Yeah, and I, my go-to going out outfit is usually just a bathing suit shorts or regular shorts. Like I try and be like, oh, I'm going to wear jeans out. No, bad idea. Or any long sleeve shirt, you're going to be sweating through that before the day's over, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I've never been there outside of August. So I would assume the rest of the months are, it's a great place to be. And yeah, the dog days of summer, I'm not looking forward to the winter. I saw Halloween decorations at the mall yesterday. I was like, this is too early. I don't want to see this. And I almost ordered my first pumpkin spice donut from Krispy Kreme the other day. And my oh, wife was like, it's too early. Out? Wow. They okay, do. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's 100 degrees. I, July it was at Target and I saw like the back to school supplies and it was just, like that was what I was dreaded growing up because like I lived in Ohio so you know we had only like three good months out of the year and when you saw school supplies you're like oh it's over already yeah yeah not looking forward to it this is the first year my kids will go to public school they've been uh, homeschooled or private school so everything starts a little earlier and it seems like these holidays never end or these times a year right it's I saw back to school stuff, yeah, in July, and it was just, I don't want to think about this yet. Don't make me think about this yet. Well, it just, yeah, I, I don't like that. It gives me the shivers of like, oh, being back in school, which after, you know, going to college and then or high school and all of that, I went to one post-grad class at UCLA for, you know, wrangling talent. It was a very niche class for one day. So I have one official post-grad credit at UCLA, which... I still use my resume. I don't know how much that means, but I have done post-grad work, I like to say. Awesome. Awesome. I have not had a chance to do that yet. My sister is wrapping up her doctorate right now. That's been pretty interesting. I can't even imagine. It's quite the journey. It'll be the first doctorate in our family and uh, real proud of her. But I can't imagine. I was done with school and then I was done. I wanted to never go back. And I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad I was able to get out of college in four years. It was a close one, but I figured it out and got it done. Yeah, I was a late starter. I worked for a little bit and then I went to school and then it was like I went straight, straight through summers and everything. I wanted to be I got there and I wanted to get out. So so you made up for lost time. I did. I mean, I was still the old guy in all the classes. You know, I think one of my last classes was a freshman English class. And I was, you know, five years older than everyone else. And they thought I was the teacher. And yeah, that was the worst class. How we think that like when I was like 18 thing, somebody that was 23 is old. And now like if I go out to the bar and meet somebody who's 23, I'm like, you're so young. You've got your whole life ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, I turned 48 this year. And I remember thinking when I was maybe 10 that you're really close to death at that point. <laughs> so <laughs> Maybe like if you were on the Oregon Trail, you might be close yeah, to right? death. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd be 10 years over the uh, life expectancy at that point. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Tell us uh, and our listeners about your career journey. How did you find affiliate marketing and what was the path to get there? It was a long journey. So I went to Ohio University. So I was a public relations major. I didn't really have many options for internships. So one of my internships, actually my only one during college was at Hawking College, which was kind of technical college a couple miles outside of Athens where I went to school. 
And for that, I really got my hands dirty. I was doing marketing and PR, got to learn so many things because they basically had a one person department. So like I remember taking a picture of a baby foal, I think that's a baby horse and like making the front page of the newspaper in that town. And that's just like how things went and everything. So like, oh, I got a front page article. But yeah, it was a really good experience I had. And after that, I worked all summer at an island in Ohio called Putin Bay, saved up 10 grand saw an ads off Craigslist to work in PR because I wanted to be a celebrity publicist. That was my end goal. I saw so many like things on TV documentaries. I'm like, oh, I want to get a person checking people in at the door or walking celebrities down the red carpet. And I applied for an unpaid internship, which I don't think is legal anymore in the state of California. You have to get it for credit or they have to pay you. So this was, I think, this is 2011. So it was a completely different time. So yeah, I did that for a company called Tyler Burnett PR. Did three months unpaid then three months paid, and then three months as an assistant. And he was doing lifestyle and branded consumer PR. So I did check in at some events and then just, you know, calling magazines to, you know, pitch them. I'm like, hi, do you have a quick second for a pitch? Like all these New York reporters and they're like, yes. And then I would like freeze up on the phone, like just because I was so green and trying like wow, spit out phone pitches. Yeah, that's like, because now it's all email pitches, at least in my, yeah, for what I'm doing now in sales. But yeah, back then phone pitches is how you did it. It taught me a lot. And then I started a company called Artisan Brand Management, where I did celebrity endorsements. So basically celebrity sales, if you will. So I got to work with Lindsay Lohan, Nicki Minaj, like all these big celebrities over six years there, which was really exciting. That's when affiliate was just starting to creep in, at least in my world. They'd be like, hey, would you want to do this? But it's only for a percentage of sales. And we were always like, no, we need to see the money up front. And especially with celebrities, just because bigger brands, they'll pay for, you know, bigger upfront fees. I remember some like people getting $100,000 for one social media post, which is just like crazy. And they're seeing no ROI. It's just like basically brand awareness is what they're paying for, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. So after six years there, I dabbled in a company that did micro influencer management. So I was managing influencers with like 10 to 100,000 followers. And we were dabbling in affiliate again. And then I worked for a Canadian-based company doing YouTube, managing influencers there. Just lasted a little bit, wasn't a great fit. And then my stop right before I started Magic Links was back doing influencer endorsements at a company called NTA, which is a full-service talent agency in LA. Once the pandemic hit, times were tough and they like made me part-time. And I'm like, okay, this is not sustainable to live in LA. I was already cutting it pretty close with my regular salary plus commission. So I took a chance on Magic Links. I didn't really know. I thought I'd be like, okay, I've got all these contacts at brands that usually pay upfront fees. So I'm like, okay, they'd be great for affiliate. But a lot of people didn't understand the model at first or just weren't like, yeah, just didn't understand it or weren't familiar with it. So I got like a lot of pushback or, you know, just people, I think I sent out 400 emails when I started at Magic Links and like nobody responded. Um, so that was kind of eye opening, but I was like the first one hired on our sales team. And now I think we've got a sales team of about 12 or 13. So it was good to be with a really with a startup in like the infancy, and especially during a weird time like COVID, but everybody was online shopping. So we had that advantage, but it was like in June of 2020. So like we thought we were getting out of it, but like, okay, we're still in it now. So we didn't know what the heck we were talking about. 
That's so funny now, right? Like we thought we were, you know, getting out of it two years later. I remember just like a month staying at home, like while I was working maybe like three hours a day because I was part time and I was just like going crazy because your LA took it really strict. Like even if you're walking outside, you need to wear a mask and don't stay out for that long. Like it was just crazy. And then going to the grocery store was like my one big highlight of the week. And it was just crazy. But yeah, so I started with my boss, Ed, who's great. So it was really good that I could, I was going to the office when like, technically, I think you weren't supposed to be going into the office, but we wore masks and we were just like, I work better when I'm in the office. I don't like, you know, as I work remotely now, I do prefer going into the office just because I feel like there's camaraderie. You can ask, you don't have to slack your boss questions. You can just ask him quickly. Hey, like, what's your opinion on this? Like, how would you approach this as like, you know, unique situations come up, especially when I'm in my infancy of, you know, doing affiliate sales pretty much. So it was a very helpful. And as he really taught me the ropes, it was just eye opening to kind of see how this works and how like they can find really good influencers, you know, to produce affiliate sales that aren't celebrities that are kind of, you know, niche, you know, we've got people that with 30,000 subscribers on YouTube that like outperform people with a couple million followers. So it's really a unique process to see kind of like, it's all about engagement and like authenticity. And like, if your fans are really like dedicated to you, or they just following you to like hate follow you or just like, just following you just to like, I definitely want to ask about the hate follow. <laughs> yeah, because some people do like just hate follow like, oh, this girl like, I mean, like she's got cool stuff. But I wouldn't like buy anything she buys or something like that. Because there definitely are people we do live in like a cynical time where people are like, especially like Gen Zers. I mean, probably Gen Xers too, or millennials too. I'm millennial, I believe. I'm 33. So I think that's right. People definitely do like hate follow or just not like appreciate the content they're seeing. Other times there's people that are like really invested in it. So it's just interesting to see the whole spectrum of it. Yeah. And so before we dive into affiliate marketing and everything, one of the things we talked about, you alluded to it here, was what it was like looking for work in a pandemic. And now we're entering this phase where we see layoff notices every week, you know, daily on LinkedIn. And there's still a lot of weirdness. You know, it's unlike June 2020, we're not sure when we're going to get out of this now. I think we're more realistic of there's a lot of uncertainty coming. So I thought it was appropriate, especially for those listening who are are job searching. You know, what was it like navigating during the pandemic, a job search? I applied a lot. It was just kind of a numbers game when it came down to it. But like, it was definitely because uh, I've been in jobs before where I didn't like or just wasn't a fit right, with two Canadian based companies that I just was like, okay, like this checks like the money box and it checks like general what I want to do. But then I'm just like, I don't want to get in a situation like that again, where I'm just like, I'm not happy at this job. So I was very hesitant about doing anything like straight sales, which, you know, is my I'm brand partnership slash sales is in the title. So it is cold outreach, no cold calling anymore, unless we're really trying to, you know, get a big, we like to call them whale on the hook or a fish on the hook. So yeah, it was definitely tough. But I was, you know, always trying to like update my resume, like I was featured in Women's Wear Daily a couple times before. So I definitely, you know, attached that to my email, like in the bottom, like, here's some articles I've been featured in. So just anything to, you know, reinvent the wheel, make me look maybe like somebody that they would really want to give an interview to, because a lot of times I didn't even get to the first base. So it was just frustrating where the only email I would get is 
your application has been received. And that was it. So it was definitely frustrating, but, and it took probably, I'd say three month process. And that was for Magic Links too. I think I started interviewing with them in March and then I didn't get the job and I didn't start till June 15th. And I don't think I got the offer until the end of May. So it was like, wow, well time, but I met with pretty much the whole team. There was only 10 people, but I met with everybody and it's something cool about their companies. Like they've said like, Hey, we don't hire people unless they're F yes. So I was an F yes to, you know, and which is really cool for them to say, just because I think, especially during those hard times, like you want to really invest in somebody that's going to be with your company for a while and like, is going to be like good to work with. So, I mean, I feel like I do check those boxes and I'm, I'm pretty friendly to get along with and everything, but on paper, you can't see that. So it was just, you know, somebody taking a chance being like, okay, like let's give this guy a call. But yeah, it was definitely, if people are getting laid off now, it's just, it is a numbers game and just using any anything, even if you think it sounds like pretentious or anything, like I thought, you know, using my women's wear daily articles was like, okay, like this is like, he's gloating. But like, I mean, in this, like in that tough job climate, it was just like, I was putting everything against the wall to see what would, you know, penetrate through all the resumes. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when I talk to prospect, you know, candidates, that seems to be a common thread of, I don't want to seem like I'm boasting or gloating, but from the employer's perspective, I need to know why you're different. Like this is the time to do it and you are okay to do it. Like, tell me why you're different. My dad calls them blue chip stories. So I always train my staff to remember those blue chip stories. So when you go to get your next position, you take your next step, whether that's inside JEB or outside, you have these stories that you can share that are readily available that you may have written down that you can share or examples like you stated that you can just send along that make you stand out. And I think that's huge important. Do you have any other advice for those looking right now? Like, you know, it's a numbers game and then the adding some of those things that different, anything else that you found worked for you? I would say, I mean, Indeed, I thought was the best job tool I could find. I tried like entertainmentcareers.net. I never got any responses for that. Like the only real job website I used was, you know, Indeed, or, you know, I'd look at a company and be like, okay, this is a company I want to work for. I would look on their website and a lot of times I would just send a resume, even if they weren't hiring, just because I'm like, hey, I want to like put, you know, good juju out into the universe. Like, hey, at least they see that I'm interested and I know about their company. So I did that with a couple different companies. I didn't hear back from them, but it didn't hurt at the same time just to, you know, go after companies that you know you want to work for. Awesome. Great. And thank you. And what about employers? What do you think from your perspective? And one of the reasons I love this podcast is I get to ask questions that I want to know, and hopefully others can learn from my curiosity. But from a candidate's perspective, what would you want employers to know that are looking to fill positions? I would say just, yeah, you really want to make sure somebody's hungry. Because I feel like I don't want to generalize all people like coming out of the workforce or coming out of college or anything. But it feels like it's a different time from when I graduated 10 years ago. People were really hungry. Like I would work over what I was supposed to. I remember I, my boss being like, if I picked up the phone on the second ring, this one, everyone had like office phones, which nobody's in the office anymore. But she'd be like, what's going on there if I didn't pick up on the first ring? So it was just like, that's how I was trained. I'm not saying that's right. But I just feel like that kind of hunger is kind of missing nowadays with like some of the people I see that applicants that we get. So I would just say just like a really a drive to, you know, want to be successful in your position, 
goes a long way and, you know, just be hungry for making it work and, you know, being an asset to the team. Just because I feel like some people are just like, okay, I'm going to apply, see how this job goes and then like move on. I know like a lot of people in PR, I feel like they only stay at a company for one year, then they move on, then they move on, then they move on. Like for my company, like I was hesitant at first with sales, but like we've got such a great, you know, office culture. We've got a beautiful office in Venice and just like everybody feels like family and it's not like, it's not micromanaged. And it's just like, that's a big thing too. Like once you're being micromanaged, like you can be like offended off of quick things. And I feel like with our office now, it's just kind of like, Hey, if you make a mistake, like let's just learn how to do it better next time. Like it's not as yeah micromanaged as I've had at other positions before other jobs. Yeah. Great. Well, let's talk about magic links and uh, talk to me. What is magic links and what's your role at magic links? Yes. So we are a social commerce platform. We've got 25,000 influencers on our platform. Primarily, it's YouTube, but we are branching off into people whose main platform is TikTok or Instagram. YouTube still sees the greatest conversion rate as far as sales go, which is, you know, very important for brands and affiliate companies. So and we work with about 4,500 brands are live on our platform. So we work with brands in kind of three different ways. The first way is just, you know, you can be onboarded to our platform. So let's For instance, Crocs is one of our brand partners. So if I was an influencer, I could be like, hey, I just got this pair of Crocs. Crocs isn't paying me. I actually paid for these Crocs myself, but I'm going to link it in my bio and then you can click and we'll say their cookie windows 30 days. So they can get credit for those sales. If it's 10%, whatever sales for 10% for 30 day cookie window, they're going to be accredited and then we'll pay out at the end of the month to them from the Crocs account. We also do gifting campaigns, which is when a brand has a test budget. And for this, we're guaranteeing X amount of influencers to post for a fee. And then we have a casted campaign that we offer, which is kind of our primary focus where we're really kind of acting as the influencer marketing agency of record for the brand for that particular campaign. And for this, we're doing anywhere from, you know, five to 20 casted influencers over the course of a month, and they've got full creative control and then full casted control as well. So those are kind of the three ways we work with brands right now. And, you know, our company is just growing year by year. During COVID, the first three months was kind of weird. And then I started and we saw like people were still shopping online and people still shopping online too. We've seen year after year, like 2021 to 2022. So it's been definitely interesting for me starting off where I did with celebrity sales, kind of migrating now to, you know, affiliate and then working mostly with YouTubers, which I didn't when I was with artists and brand doing celebrity stuff. Awesome. And so what's your role at Magic Links? What do you do in terms of these? Brand partnerships. So I work with both affiliate companies, marketing agencies, and brand directly to, you know, talk to them about different options. You know, if we see a brand spiking in sales organically, I would talk to them about a possible gifted or casted campaign. And then brands, marketing agencies, and affiliate companies come to me when they're looking for, you know, a proposal for a brand to do a casted campaign. So I, you know, manage those relationships. And then if once we close a, you know, a casted campaign, then I would hand it off to my influencer team who would execute the campaign. And then I come back at the end to tell you how the campaign did, what was the return on investment, clicks, sales, and all that good stuff that we, you know, encapsulate into a wrap deck. So basically, I'm the liaison between the brand and then our influencers. 
Gotcha. Okay. And, and I was looking at your site this morning and I love what it says is sales are the new likes, the new comments. And you've kind of seen this throughout your career as affiliate, kind of even all the way back to like 2012. Talk to me about that transition of that KPI of how things are being measured now. What have you noticed? How has that changed? I think budgets were definitely looser back in the day. And since of the pandemic of when I've started an affiliate, it's definitely more, you know, return on investment driven, where they want to see a result. They just don't want to, you know, give, maybe they're okay with giving away a product, but they don't want to pay for an influencer to post if they know that influencer is not going to move the needle. So I think I've just seen people wanting to be like, okay, can you guarantee, you know, a three times ROAS? We can't, but we've got a match intelligence pro algorithm that will select the best influencers that, with the highest probability of driving sales for the brand based on kind of this brand sheet they fill out. So we put everything in place to ensure that the campaign is a success. But, you know, luckily we've got over 70% of our campaigns that deliver a positive ROAS, which is amazing, especially in this competitive influencer marketing place. But yeah, we just try our best to, you know, we pre-screen all of our influencers that are on platform to, you know, make sure we alleviate any headaches. I know with influencers, it's, oh, something comes up, you know, my dog ate my homework or I can't post on this date. We've tried to, you know, get past all that by, you know, pre-screening, making sure they have the engagement, not just like, hey, I've got a million followers. Great. But like, we only see three comments on your posts. Like something doesn't add up here. So we've got a data team too that runs analytics as well. So we really put a lot of things in place to ensure that the people that we select for your campaign are going to move the needle, are going to drive sales. Thank you for listening to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Hopefully you are finding this episode as intriguing as we have. Now, one of the things we are talking about a lot at JEB Commerce is the merging of public relations and affiliate marketing. Maybe you've seen this happening. Maybe you're a PR agency trying to figure out just what all this is and how you could take advantage of it. Well, if you're a brand, you're an affiliate, or you're a PR agency trying to figure out what this new world looks like, we've got a ton of content for you. You can go to jebcommerce.com slash PR and there you'll find podcast episodes that walk us through this new change, as well as a ton of content talking about the technology that's available, the similarities between pitching for PR and recruiting affiliates are, and really what you should be doing to take advantage of this exciting new change. So go to jebcommerce.com slash PR. And if you need any help deciphering and figuring out your next step in this exciting new development, then please contact us at gethelp at jebcommerce.com and we will jump on a call and walk you through the whole process. And then what we can do for PR agencies and brands to take advantage of this. We actually have a service level for each of you and we can help definitely take advantage of that, help you track, acquire new customers, increase your reach and adapt to things very, very quickly. So check that out at jbcommerce.com slash PR and email us at gethelp at jbcommerce.com. Now back to our episode. What type of advertisers work best for you guys? Do you have a sweet spot? 
Yeah. So fashion and beauty are traditionally our biggest movers as far as sales go. And that's just because, you know, it's easy to like click, whether you're on your phone or computer, kind of impulse buys that we see are easy for people to do. And especially if the AOV is between like $100 and $200. Nowadays, people don't really bat their eyelashes about spending that. So people are quick to buy once they see like their influencer or somebody that they're following is posting this. They're like, okay. And if it's seasonal too, as far as clothing goes, they're going to be more quick to buy as well. So yeah, fashion and beauty are definitely our two top verticals. Gotcha. And those lend itself really well to YouTube as well. Huge vertical. So if a brand wants to work with you, talk to me from that first touch point to the campaign being launched. How does that all look? Yeah. So we first kind of have a call just seeing what they want to get out of the campaign, kind of what their budget is, because the budget will really dictate what we're able to do. With CASID campaigns, you know, influencers fees have went up. So our prices have to go up to reflect that. So it just kind of comes down to, okay, what's your number one KPI? You know, people say it's usually it's sales. So we always want some type of YouTube component, we feel like just because that statistically is the highest conversion rate for sales. And once we find out their budget, we would usually prepare a proposal with a couple different options. And I before the call as well, I want to know what they've done in the past with influencers, just to see kind of what has worked and what hasn't. I know I'm doing a sunglasses campaign right now. And they're we're midway through and they're like, it's just for gifting. And they're like, you know what? 80% of our clients are male. So let's kind of flip that where it's, I have been like casting females. Let's move that more towards male. So we want to have them fill out all this information beforehand. So we've got a really good guise of, you know, what we need to deliver so we can deliver, you know, a success. And once, you know, they choose which proposal they'd like, we would drop an IO. And then once they sign it, it's usually like a four to five week process from IO signature to the rollout of videos. And right after the IO signature, we have a kickoff call. Then we prepare, you know, influencer selection for them. They get to choose which influencers they like. And then they come up with a creative guide that we would send to each influencer. And then they send out product as well. And then we're hoping to have first video cuts for their approval within seven days of receiving product. And then usually right after they get approval, they'll go live within seven to 10 days. Or if they're like, you know, with holiday, they're very specific. We need to post on Thursday, on Thanksgiving, or on Black Friday. So, Yeah. And what KPIs do you monitor for the influencers in these campaigns? So first off, it's sales. And then we also do last click, full funnel sales estimate. And we have an offline attribution model. A lot of people do buy offline. And we've been able to track this through bigger retailers that we work with. We provide those along with clicks, views, and then social engagement, which is like likes, comments, and all that. Likes and comments. Yeah. And I would imagine, you know, for a long time with affiliate marketing, we really didn't have a way to track outside of last click. Like that was as technically advanced as it was. But over the last 10 years, we've got a lot of technology from our platforms and networks that allows us to track everywhere, which is one of the reasons I think early on influencer marketing affiliate failed because we, you know, a lot of those transactions were happening outside of the click and it was hard to get a click, you know, clickable link in some of what these influencers are doing. So you guys, you can track, you know, like 360, all of what's happening around this influencer. Yeah. So it's an estimate for, cause we do work with like a commission junction, like they've got full funnel that they can track. 
you know, ours is very similar. It's a different attribution model though than theirs is. So it's not exactly what they're recording, but it's, I feel like each, you know, affiliate we work with has kind of a slightly different attribution model that I've seen in the past. And then our offline is using, I believe, a company called RevTrax that we've used in the past to track offline sales. So those we've known that that's been down to like, you know, a couple percent of actually what it was. So we've been really good about, you know, we have a really good data team. A lot of that's way above my pay grade, but they can definitely track all of that information, which is amazing and like something I'm learning every day. So. And so just for clarity, if I'm an advertiser or brand, I want to work with you. How is the fee structured? Are you able to work with influencers on a commission only? Are you also spending, you know, do you need to be prepared to spend some ad fees as well? So yeah, if the brand, you know, we work with smaller brands too, and they just want to start with that, you know, a $930 onboarding fee, then that's what we start with. And that's fine. And they would just pay out commission. Obviously, we do see a bigger return on investment when there is, you know, an ad spend behind that. But we never want to like poo-poo a brand just because they don't have the budget. So you can definitely start at our lowest level. And then once you're seeing, hey, like, I think there's influencers on our platform that's definitely moving the needle. Can we talk about gift or casted campaign? We can talk about that then when they have the budget to spend. But yeah, they can start at the lowest level. Great. And so other publishers like yourself that I've talked to, they've been very picky on who they work with, especially in this merging of PR and affiliate that's really taking hold now. Do you guys turn away advertisers? And what are the markers of those advertisers that you turn away if you do? You know, we are a B Corp. So we're all about being sustainable. But we do work with, you know, fast fashion brands as well. So it would have to be something that really goes against our grain that's, you know, like cannot be forgiven or something like that. I can't think of a brand like that offhand just because we are a business at the end of the day and we do need to, you know, make money. But at the same time, I think it would be, you know, if there was a questionable brand, we would probably talk about it internally and decide as a collective, probably my boss and then our CEO, because I've got my sales boss, Ed, and then our CEO, Brian. So I think it would be a collective conversation. But so far, I don't know of any brands that we've... We can't work with CBD right now or any marijuana companies. So that's a brand we like legit or legally, there's too many repercussions because it's a state by state issue. And it's a federal, like it's all weird. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just like sending out products and yeah. Yeah. So that's for sure. We can't work with them, even though we're talking with our lawyer, trying to figure out, you know, a workaround for CBD, but we couldn't find one. So we had to turn them away. Yeah. So talk to me the other side, influencer side, how do you choose and select influencers? And what do you look for in those that you bring onto the platform? So it's a minimum of 10,000 subscribers or followers on any network. We work with a lot of management companies too that you know will suggest people. And then we review people that apply to our platform. We also have like we have former people who used to work at ShopStyle who have good connections that they brought over, some of their influencers that they feel like would be a good fit. But you know, it's just somebody with an authentic following and you know, we feel like either has proven themselves in the past to be able to drive sales or has high engagement rate and would likely drive sales for a brand. So it just kind of our influencer team is pretty selective about who they select. But, you know, they do definitely have a couple like check boxes that they review before letting somebody onto our platform that applies organically. 
Gotcha. And what are some mistakes advertisers make when working with you? Like what should they avoid when they start a relationship with Magic Links? I would say something I just saw recently is brands having too many dues or like checkpoints to hit for an influencer for to say. Like the more organic an influencer can relate the product to their audience, the better it's going to do. I know on some things, especially like if it's anything medical or, you know, with supplement brand, like there's things that need to be said. But I feel like for a beauty brand, like just say like how it authentically feels or like for a clothing brand, be like, oh, it's 100% cotton. That's not really going to move the needle as much as like, hey, I like to pair this with this and that. Like, and just be authentic about it rather than like reading off a cue card is something I feel like how an advertiser can make a mistake of just trying to be like, okay, we need to hit all these things, but that's not going to move the needle rather than them just speaking organically and authentically to the camera. It seems like they would try to control the narrative instead of there's a little bit of you're going to engage with this person and you kind of got to be okay with what to create. We're not creating a commercial for you on your YouTube channel. This is for their audience. And so that's one of the big things that they do is what you're saying. So brands need to be a little more okay with the influencer talking in their voice about the product. Definitely. Like if they've already like approved this influencer to like be in their campaign, I feel like trust them. Like you've seen their content. And if you don't feel like they're a good fit, then based on that, then I wouldn't go with them in the first place. So it's definitely like trusting somebody to like deliver an authentic and organic message, but not, you know, hitting every talking point you like suggested for them to say. Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed in the past with platforms and aggregators is the need for the advertiser to have transparency. How do you guys handle that? So my question is, does the advertiser get to see the brand get to see these influencers are in your campaign? Here's the content that they produce and here's how each one performed. So they actually get to see we do all that. I think it's an overall performance. We do say the top performers from each campaign. We don't break it down as far as, you know, each person for sales. We usually just do the top performers because that's who they kind of care about who moved the needle. Because, you know, in some campaigns, everybody moves the needle. But in some campaigns, you've got only like three people that really made sales on it and made the majority of sales. So. So you mentioned, you know, they need to be able to allow them to talk in their voice. A campaign will be multiple influencers. And then you talked about providing product. Is that pretty standard? Like they need to be able to provide product, like they're going to review the product, right? So they have to have it. Yes. We actually had an interesting case with like a higher fashion brand where they wanted the people to return the clothes after reviewing them. Because that's what they do with like magazine editors. And I was like, well, I mean, and their prices were maybe like a couple hundred dollars per piece. So it was like, just do an outfit and maybe that's $600, but that's still going to be an investment that you're getting content out of. So we said no on that just because it just didn't make sense in the long run for our influencer to be doing it just for commission because then they wouldn't even be getting the clothes and it was just going to be a gifted campaign. So it was a vital proportion of being gifted is getting to keep the clothes. Getting to keep the clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a good incentive to do the review. How about disclosures? So I assume the influencers all handle that? Yes, we're very FTC compliant and our influencer team has like the most up-to-date of like when you can just put like American Eagle partner, hashtag Ameri instead of just like sponsored, we'll do the same thing. So they're very up to date on that. And I just take their cue when it comes to that, just because I feel like it kind of changes. But I feel like it's a little looser, but you still need to disclose that you're getting paid 
in some form or fashion. Gotcha. And so does a campaign, like, is there a number of influencers that are typically involved in a campaign? Is it like three? Is it 30? I would say a normal campaign, somewhere between five and 10. Okay. And how long does that run? So that's usually running, I'd say over, you know, two to three weeks will be the rollout. Unless somebody is doing a sale where it's like, we need every piece of content live within these two days, then we can do that. But I feel like it works better when it's kind of spread out over, you know, a week or two. Gotcha. Gotcha. Is there anything else that brands should know about working with Magic Links that we haven't talked about yet? I would say, you know, we're definitely easy to work with. And when it comes down to budget, I know some other companies have minimum budgets that you need to spend for casted campaigns or gifted campaigns. You know, we can definitely work within whatever the brand's budget is within reason. I'll say that. But yeah, we're definitely we're more deal makers and deal breakers. So we definitely want to make a deal work based on whatever budget you have and creative. So, and we definitely have, you know, the case studies to back up our successes and, um, you know, fashion and beauty are definitely two of our top verticals. So if you're in that space, I would definitely, I think a call would not hurt you with anyone on our brand team, including myself to talk further and see if we might be a good fit for each other. Awesome. Well, let's talk about that. How can they get a hold of you? How can they follow you or get in touch to chat about ways that they can you know, take a next step forward in working with you guys. Yeah, of course. So my email, andy at magiclinks.com would definitely be the best way to contact me. You know, I try and do 24 hours or less on every email. It isn't always the case, but you know, I definitely, for the majority of my emails, will hit that. So... Awesome. Well, I will make sure to include that contact info in the show notes. And if it's okay with you, you're LinkedIn as well. So they can get in touch with you there. Andy, this has been really great. I really enjoyed learning more about Magic Links and about you and spending this time together. Thank you for joining the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Yes. Thank you for having me. It was a joy. Awesome. Well, I'm sure we will chat again soon. Perfect. Thank you. Well, Andy, first off, thank you so much for joining me and spending time today talking about affiliate marketing and PR. Really appreciated your insights into the job search, you know, what that looks like for a job searcher right now, especially as things are, you know, uncertain going into Q4, lots of layoff announcements and things like that. Definitely, if you are a job searcher, we're hiring right now. We're looking for a senior affiliate manager, affiliate manager, and our entry-level assistant affiliate manager roles. So we are looking for those. Please go to jbcommerce.com, click on our careers tab. You'll see those ads. But listen to the advice that Andy gives. And we talk about that a bunch early on in the podcast. So Andy, thank you for that. Definitely some real good insights from that conversation. It is interesting to see that Andy saw this, this creep in of affiliate and PR kind of creeping into each other all the way back in 2012. So some things, magic links to think about 25,000 influencers, 4,500 brands, mainly YouTube. They're doing a, a bunch of TikTok right now. It's really interesting to hear that YouTube is where they're finding the highest sales conversions. And also, you know, their view of sales are the new view, the new comment, the new engagement. So that's a trend that we started seeing several years ago. And we see today of brands needing more than just the comment, the like, and any engagement. They want to track these campaigns based on sales. 
So 70% of their campaigns produce a productive ROAS. Let's see, what else do I got here? Oh, so some of the KPIs that they report on sales, full funnel estimates, offline and online, views, clicks, and definitely that revenue. Their minimum for influencers to get in is 10,000 subscribers on any platform. Advertisers, the lowest rate to engage with them is includes a $930 setup fee and then commission. So lots of great stuff. If you are trying to figure out how PR and affiliates are working together and how to integrate influencers into your affiliate strategy, this has been, I think, hopefully a really good podcast uh, for you. We also have created our own content around this particular topic. You can go to jbcommerce.com slash PR to get that as well. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Andy, thank you again for joining us and to the whole team at Magic Links. We really enjoy working with you guys. Looking forward to do more with our clients in the future. If you want to find out and work with Magic Link, see if you're a right fit and what kind of influencers they can get to work with. Definitely email Andy at Andy at magiclinks.com. We'll include that in our show notes as well. And you know, if you found this episode useful and helpful, please share it. Go to Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and share this episode with your friends. If you know someone who's dealing with this particular topic right now, send this over to them straight away. And then we would really appreciate a five-star review on the podcast player of your choice, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Stitcher or any of those that really helps us get the word out. And we'd appreciate your help in doing that. Now we are getting ready for season three of the podcast, which starts in January and we are looking for guests. So if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or you know someone who should be a guest on the podcast, please let us know. And we continue to work on getting 50% of our guests represented from marginalized groups. So if you know anyone in that group that you think is amazing and needs to be on this podcast, please send them our way. Well, thank you very much for listening and getting through to this part of the podcast. If you need any help with your affiliate program, just email us at gethelp at jbcommerce.com and we will get back to you right away. But anyway, thank you for listening and thank you for helping us get the word out on this podcast. <laughs>